Johnny Cullen, what is your favourite game? Feels weird we even asked that. My favourite game <laughs> is The Last of Us. <laughs> it does feel jarring to actually be on the other end of that for once. <laughs> That's cool, it's good. <laughs> Okay, so to start off, how did you first get into games? How did I first get into games? Um, so I think it was my cousin who first introduced me to the world of interactive entertainment. Um, I can't recall what games it was he brought over, but um, he usually brought over on occasion uh, an, either a NES or a SNES. I think I met him in a NES. Because of, like I recall the you know the unique controls for each one, uh, so mm. I think it was the NES. Um, I think he brought over games like obviously Mario um, and maybe maybe Metroid. I'm not sure, but yeah. it was something like that. Um, but and my sister used to have. Mega Drive. I can't recall which games she used to play as well. I recall a memory where I was in her bedroom and like her and her friend were kind of sorting games um, out. But um, beyond that, I don't think I ever played games with her. I think it was more my cousin. Um, every mm. odd Saturday when I was four or five, I would um, go to my brother's and um, play his Sega Saturn. And we'd play stuff like FIFA and um, Sega Rally, um, which, of course, Sega Rally being as amazing as it is. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Sega Rally is amazing. <laughs> such a fantastic <laughs> game, yet yet to be surpassed in every possible way. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there was a few others, but FIFA and Sega Rally is the one that springs to mind, anyways. Um, and then, in late 1997... My mum brought back um, a Game Boy, like um, uh, a see-through Game Boy from, I think it was Tesco's, and like you could see, you know, the, the hardware and the circuitry and all that there and the, and the board. Um, and she brought it back for the intent for me and my sister to play it on, but it was actually for, for me and my sister to share it with, but it was actually mainly for me because she didn't play it at all. Like, she didn't touch it. <laughs> and we, and the, there was only, we, I only got one game of it, which was the 1996 Olympic Games game in Atlanta, 
which was the tie-in for the Game Boy. Um, I don't recall if there was any other games out at that time on the Olympics, so I think that was probably <laughs> the only game. Um, and then someone from my dad's work gave me a Game Boy version of Donkey Kong Country Returns, or Donkey Kong Country at least. Um, I can't remember what mm. specific version, but I know it was Donkey Kong at least, Donkey Kong Country. Um, and then a month later... Um, uh, this is where I can truly say um, this is how I kind of properly started gaming. Like, with... Um, I, it was Christmas morning, 1997, like 19-odd years ago this week, because we are recording <laughs> this the week of Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one of the presents I got was a PlayStation bag, and I thought it was just a PlayStation bag, like a kind of... <laughs> PlayStation bag at school, like, oh cool, this is the really most awesome present. No, inside was an actual original PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> and with it was Crash Bandicoot. Um, awesome. And uh, a racing game Sony published at the time. Um, this may be kind of obscure, but um, Porsche Challenge. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Porsche Challenge. <laughs> I was like, racing game at the time, yeah. Okay, Porsche Challenge, I think he's going to say. Yeah, he did it. <laughs> I find a weird fascination with Porsche Challenge at the time, mainly because I had um, this kind of weird story in my brain in which the lead male racer and the lead female racer had a kind of romance together <laughs> whilst racing against one another in Porsche 911s <laughs> which is the right Frankfurt <laughs> but then I was a kid at the time I was an idiot at the time so yeah um, to be honest like when I got my Playstation I never really played any of the big PlayStation games at that time, and I said this before on the show, like, I've not played games like, um, Metal Gear Solid, or the numbered Final Fantasy games that came out at the time, or Silent Hill, or Resident Evil, and, looking back on that now, I was kind of disappointed that I never got the chance to do that, but, um, Mm. you know, I I was fine, I was content, we weren't exactly the richest family in the world, Mm. so, like, I just had to make do with games, um, whenever I got them, and, what games my parents got me for birthdays, Christmas, or even the odd occasional treat, um, which was, you know, once in a f- blue moon. Um, mm. Like, I can recall Spyro being one of them. Um, any any other uh, other games uh, I can't recall, but, like, even then, they would have to be usually very cheap and found, like, uh, in a car boot sale, basically, somewhere. Mm. Other, than, other than that, you decided to get lucky. Um, and then, like, like it all goes on from there. Um, PS2, PS3, Game Boy Advance, Nintendo DS, Xbox 360, PS3, all the usual stuff that's happened in the past 10 years. Anyways, but I want to bring up the, the last story, which is when I got my PlayStation 2, which was... Which is actually my most memorable game story ever. And... Um, it was actually a few days after my, when was it? It was after my, two days after my 10th birthday, I think it was, um, which I realize I'm being very specific about, but even still, (laughs) um, so I was coming back from 
a football camp at the time, like a kind of practice site, because um, like we were, um, there was a football thing for kids happening um, after the Christmas break, and I really wanted a PlayStation Two for Christmas, but at the same time, like um, like PlayStation Two was just like completely sold out everywhere, and it was like. And I realized, even I realized that at the time as a nine-year-old, like I was, it was going to be impossible to get a PS2. Um, but I asked for one, anyways, just in the miracle, <laughs> the end of miracles. So um, I came back from the football thing, and my parents, um, or I, I can recall, my mum, my sister, and my oldest brother, I think, being there, and. My mum belatedly telling me, like, we got you a present for your birthday. It's not a PlayStation 2. So I figured out at that point, oh, I was, I was disappointed, of course, but, like, at least they got me something. So, like, it was better than nothing, which is a really <laughs> shit thing to say, I realise. But even still, um, I thought, it was, it was gift wrapped, so I didn't know what it was at the time. I thought, hmm, maybe it's an Action Man figure or something, like, I guess. I opened it up. Nope, blue box, PlayStation 2, and I just <laughs> genuinely started crying. Aww. It, I was basically, at least for five minutes, an emotional Nintendo 64 kid. Al- <laughs> albeit without the screaming. Albeit without the screaming. Um, and yeah, I was just in absolute bits that, you know, my mum my and dad actually went that, um, that far out to get my PS2 because they actually went from... Um, Derry, where I live, out to Belfast, where there was very few PS2s left, and my dad and my sister actually had to drive up to Belfast to get my PlayStation 2 with Ridge Racer 5, um, Ready to Rumble, Round 2, and a DVD copy of the Rugrats movie. <laughs> and I was I just turned 10. Yay. And, like, I just felt completely emotional because I just recall... Like being like like I said, I was just in absolute tears, and I think it was more that it was just such an amazing, humbling moment that my parents would go that far for me, and that they would, you know, provide a great belated birthday gift like that, and also because it was just a PlayStation Two. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. Yeah, I guess that's kind of how I first started playing games, essentially. The long-winded story, I guess, of it. <laughs> it's a good story, though. Uh, bumps, bits <laughs> and bumps in there. <laughs> so you kind of, you geared towards Sony more? I was geared more towards Sony, um, at least for a good part of the late 90s, early knowledge for sure, like, um, mm. like... Up until 2006, I was basically PlayStation. Like, PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, um, PSP. Like, I was basically, you know, PlayStation-centric. I, I, I mean, <laughs> like, that's not to say I didn't have sole PlayStation hardware. Like, I had a Game Boy Advance as well. Um, and the only game I got with that was Mario Kart Advance. And... I had a Nintendo DS, but I didn't get any games for that until later down the line. That, and even then, that was just one copy of Nintendogs, <laughs> which kind of speaks of how really bad I treated that system in terms of <laughs> the games I got for it. So bad. 
I'm a really bad owner of hardware when I say <laughs> when I say I, I mistreated my Nintendo DS by not providing it with enough games and I was basically providing more love to my PSP than my DS <laughs> which which is something but, I mean if you compare well PSP did actually have quite a few good, really good games out on it oh yeah but um, I always remember favouring the DS although I, I have so many PSP games in their lovely little UMD cases <laughs> Rest in peace, UMD. <laughs> oh, to be fair, like I think the only thing I played at the time that I was really obsessed with on PSP was um, Need for Speed Underground Rivals and mm. Metal Gear Acid, which was, if you'll remember, the card game. Yeah. Like with its own side story, but it was just, it was a non-canon game, and it was really interesting because it was like Metal Gear, like that wasn't. One not only action based but two didn't have Kojima at the helm. I think it was a producer or something like it was someone something handed off to someone else on the director side. Um, I think those were the two big games that I played for the PSP. Like I had others, um, but I think those were the two ones that I was more or less obsessed with. That those two and um, Crisis Core actually, which was oh Crisis Core was good, which was my first foray really into Final Fantasy. Ah, so. As far as first four years go, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> now we know about how you got into games, mm. but playing them, how did you get into working within our lovely industry that we have? Lovely industry? Jeez, I don't know, yeah. I don't know if I would go that far. Oh, I have to be positive. <laughs> I'm a positive person. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more uh, realist than that. Yeah, I, I could be the biggest negative person in the world but I have to like I always feel I have to rein myself back to help others be positive mm. if you get what I no, mean no 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 fair enough fair enough yeah I think, so, it, I think it's yeah. more I am not the most happy go lucky person I mean it may not seem like it here but I'm not but happy um <laughs> so I started I think I, well, to go back to when I'm before I actually started, I have to go back about um to two thousand and five when I mm-hmm. first kind of started dipping my toes into games writing, and I started out with a website. Um, it was not a website as such; it was a kind of you remember um free webs, um like it's it's out of business. Was that? I guess that was after GeoCities. It was after GeoCities. I'm a GeoCities person originally. <laughs> like it was basically this place where you could build websites, and I basically started up this shit, for lack of a better term, website called GameZone. And by the way, when I say GameZone, it wasn't spelt very correctly. I spelt it in a kind of hipster kind of way, and I'm not going to go into full details as to how I spelt it, but it was basically bad. You're figuring out how it was spelled, wasn't did, it? Did you spell it like Leetspeak? So, kind of. <laughs> was uh, your A in was the A a four uh, or the E a three? I don't know. No, Game it zone. was more of a how it was more of a misspelling than it was lead speak than anything <laughs> because it just seemed a lot cooler. I'm not. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to go into how specific to how, <laughs> how far it was exactly spelled. Okay. But it was embarrassing. But at the time, I was. So you said that was in two thousand four. It was five. Like two thousand five. So how old were you, sorry? I'm just curious. I was I was 14 at the time. 
That's pretty um, cool. And E3 was starting at the time. This was when mm. all three of the platform holes were starting to unveil details for the next Nintendo console, the Xbox 2, the PlayStation 3, and of course we all knew what those became, the Xbox 360, the Wii, and, and the PlayStation 3. And I just felt inspired by by wanting to write basically because like I'd started going to this website recently like I was um like I checked out IGN and all that there but only for you know the big stuff like say I don't mm. know and, and playstation.com actually like for um stuff like I remember seeing the announcement for Grand Theft Auto San Andreas on the old playstation.com website and I went to IGN when the mirror used to have this kind of small side piece games column and that was the first time I had heard of Metal Gear Solid 3 and they gave a link to the IGN um, link to the trailer but the trailer was actually more or less a soundbite of the trailer so <laughs> I was actually listening to the trailer rather than watching it but um, at the time I'd only known of two websites IGN and PlayStation.com, but I'd only started reading third website at the time, third proper games website, and that was a little ditty called Eurogamer, mm. and that was the site that kind of more or less got me started writing about games. So I tried to make it, you know, a big thing. So I moved on from Game Zone, at least on free webs, and I was, and I tried to recruit two friends of my two old friends of mine from school. And um, we started off day one doing version two of the site, as I like to call it at the time. And then a day later after we launched, I basically chucked them because they didn't do the work I asked them. <laughs> because they had, it's hard to find good people. Because they had egos <laughs> on their own and they wanted to write about the stuff they wanted to write, which is fair enough. But at the same time, when you give them work to do, like, they just like, no, I can't do that. But, no. <laughs> Like, I want you to do this. Like, if you want to write your own thing, like, do it. But do it after the thing I've asked you to write. <laughs> like, like no, uh, they didn't do what they were told. So, like, I took them off. And then I went off to do what was then free. And I did that by myself. And then I renamed the site Go Online. And that was on WordPress, thankfully. Because it was a lot more manageable than, say, Free Webs or whatever. Or BraveNet. BraveNet that's a name I've not heard of in a long time until I've just remembered it <laughs> and then yeah I, I've I was on WordPress then for the duration of Go Online and I had a few people brought in over two years to help me manage the site I was more or less mainly on news at that point on Go Online with others doing their bits of news and reviews and previews and all that there um, it was around June May June 2009 when um a job opening came up for freelance thing for what was then still a re relatively young site known as Video Gaming 24-7 or as we now know it as VD 24-7 and um, I was I started becoming a member of that community at near the end of 2008 and uh, or maybe even sooner than that actually um, but um, I applied for that I had a lovely, lovely, lovely chat with um, Pat Garrett about it, and then he brought me on, 
as Gamescom cover because that was what the job was advertising at the time. Um, and he was so impressed, like not to toot my own horn or anything, <laughs> but um, he was so impressed that he offered me a full-time job at VG247 and I took it and I left to go online, um, which was my baby, but I left it to do to advance myself to help hopefully advance VG247 and for two and a half years I was UK news editor or was associate UK editor at first and then I became UK news editor Um, and then I left VG247 in July 2012 and I ever since then I've been freelance for likes I've written freelance for likes of VG247 of course as well as official PlayStation magazine official Xbox magazine Polygon and uh, Eurogamer, which was a really amazing, fulfilling experience mm. for me, considering, <coughs> excuse me, um, in that getting on Eurogamer, like Eurogamer was the place that I, I that made me want to start writing about games and like having the chance to do an article for them on Jennifer Hale, the the, the voice actress who did you know Naomi and Jennifer. Um, Jennifer Hill, uh, Naomi and Emma Emmerich and Femship and um, one of the Lutiste twins in Bioshock Infinite, like it was, I can honestly say it was, it is, it was the happiest day of my career, it's honestly one of the happiest days of my life honestly because it was such a fulfillment of one of my professional dreams and it meant everything to me and yeah, that's, that's, that's how I got into the industry side of things. Oh, and um, my favourite game, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, you know, the thing that we're talking about. <laughs> yes. So, your favourite game, The Last of Us. Um, what would you say, well, uh, you've kind of answered this, like, uh, these are my questions. What would you say your first introduction to Naughty Dog was? I have a feeling it might be Crash Bandicoot. Yes, it was Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, uh, yeah, my first introduction was Crash Bandicoot, amazing as it was. Um, afterwards, I would, you know, play the first um, not the first two. I mean, the, the the two after that came Crash One. Um, from I would rent those two from the video shop down the street from me. Oh yeah. And then I would get the chance to own uh Crash Team Racing, which is one of the best racing games of all time. And anyone who says otherwise, I will fight them to the death about that. 
um, <laughs> and, it, and like it is such a fantastic game I highly recommend people check it out if they have not already I don't care if it is like nearly 20 odd years old you should go and buy Playstation 1 just for that game and there was <laughs> actually quite a handful of games but mainly Crash Team Racing it is such a good game um, I and then after that like I played a tiny little bit of Jack and Daxter the first Jack and Daxter but it didn't, it didn't oh, yeah. really hold my attention as much as Crash Bandicoot did. It was only around the time the first Uncharted game came out that I was starting to play more of Naughty Dog's games again. And as you'll find out later on in my honourable mentions, I hold Uncharted 2 in big, um, big, biggest, biggest theme as well. Um, but it was more of the Uncharted series that I kind of first got back into Naughty Dog stuff again. And then, so... When The Last of Us was basically announced, like, there was this kind of big mystery campaign, because it was meant to be announced at Jeff Keighley's Video Game Awards, and we knew it was going to be a Sony exclusive, we knew it was going to be PlayStation 3, we knew it was called The Last of Us, but we didn't know anything else beyond that. Like, there was a lot of speculation on it, and I honestly thought it was going to be a brand new IP, which it was, but it was going to be a brand new IP from Sony Santa Monica. Not in a million years that I expect that to be Naughty Dog. Cause, like Naughty Dog had been known at that point to be a one-team game, and like mm. the one team being, you know, Amy Hennig led up by her. Like at hindsight, being twenty twenty, you know, there was perhaps clues of where is you know the other people who were involved in Uncharted Two's development that who were high up on that development and where were they what were they working on because they weren't working on Uncharted 3 like um, Bruce Strady Neil Druckmann like it was it was weird but like and I can recall my reaction to that announcement as it happened because I was doing the live blog for the Game Awards um, for VG247 and it was about 1am in the morning and when the trailer started, and it was like Sony Computer Interactive Entertainment Presents, and I remember saying to Steph, Steph Nimmerly, who was, and is still to this day, VD247's US editor, I remember saying to her, right, this is definitely so, uh, Sony Santa Monica. And then once the Naughty Dog logo faded into view, I was like, what the actual <laughs> fuck? What is this? Naughty Dog have been working on two games simultaneously. And this was announced <laughs> a month after Uncharted 3 came out as well. And I was like, what the actual fuck? <laughs> like, what the hell? But, like, you know, the concept teaser of Joel and Ellie hiding from what we would then know as the clickers. It was, like, such a great teaser. It gave big vibes to I Am Legend and uh, Enslaved. It was just, yeah, I was, like, fully in. Already on day one. And like I was such a big fan of the Uncharted games at that point. I was like, alright. Like it's not like I was already in at that point. But I was like, fine. Whatever. I'm in. <laughs> you got, you me. got me. You got me. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> so you basically answered like my next two questions. You're just so good. Because um, I was going to ask if you were kind of like bought in from the moment you watched the trailer. Because I... I think I'd remember that you were live streaming um, those VGAs because I remember watching them live as well. Mm. Oh, my nose. Um, but I guess that trailer had you 
from the moment you saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like like I said, it, it got me playing soccer, and like I said, I, I was such a big fan of the Uncharted games at that point that you know uh, I I didn't think Naughty Dog could do me no wrong, and like <laughs> it was as simple as that. I was from a brand new team, brand new IP, and. You know, two of the leads of Uncharted 2, which was one of my favourite games at that point. You know, like, I just felt like, yeah. And plus, it was a lot more serious in tone compared to Uncharted. Like, super, super grim, super serious. And, like, as fun as the Uncharted games were in terms of the story, as much as I enjoyed them for the entertainment they gave, from that first trailer, I felt like The Last of Us had something up its sleeve that hadn't been done before in a Naughty Dog game. And for that, that mm. was worth being interested in. Oh, yeah. So, uh, it's kind of hard, of course, because you've played the game mm. since. And, you know, the game is out. Um, can can you cast back at all to when it was announced in what you thought the game might be like? Like, because of course you'd played Uncharted, mm. and then you see this trailer, and you're like, "Okay, so what? What kind of game is this? Did you did you kind of have any presumptions? If you can even remember back to then?" Um, I think the only presumption was that Ellie was a lot like Ellen Page at that time. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, I think that was everyone's assumption. Um, in terms of, she was very Ellen Page. In terms of how it played was, or how it was in terms of even genre, I think. The first thing was immediately obvious was, this is not an action game. This is a horror game, and like this felt like Naughty Dog stepping out, out of its comfort zone in a sense. Like I'm still mm. story driven, but it was stepping into something new. That I think that was the only presumption that I had at the time, and like, I think now it's not as horror driven. I mean, like there are you know moments in the game which I'm, which we'll touch upon, I'm sure, but like. It's not so much a horror-driven story as it is a character-driven action story, action horror, st- survival horror story. Mm. Um, but I think the only presumption was that this was going to be a horror game and that Ellie was Ellen Page. <laughs> so, kind of, I suppose, on that note, do you feel that it felt now that you know the game's out you played it it came out years ago um do you feel that the last of us was the natural evolution of uncharted i think yes but also no in a sense because it feels like there is certain elements of the last of us that do borrow from uncharted for sure um but it feels like from a gameplay sense anyways that it borrows a lot more from things like Resident Evil 4 and the over-the-shoulder camera view from that. Um, although that was more the the norm for action games anyways. But like it felt like Resident Evil 4 is such a big inspiration for that game, and I feel, and it's it wears it hard on its sleeve. Um, mm. like, like, like The Last of Us has so many inspirations um, like No Country for Old Men um, The Road and 
like like Resident Evil 4, but in terms of game inspirations, like game two game inspirations, Resident Evil 4 is the biggest one. Like there are a few others, I'm sure, but it's all going blank in my head. Resident Evil, Resident, yeah. <laughs> Resident Evil 4 is the big one that stands out for sure. Mm. Do you have a favourite level within the game? Uh, if you think of it yes. within a level yes, sense. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so, The Last of Us, in case you don't know, is set across all four seasons for the course of a year. Um, so, I'm going to try and break this down as much as I can. Um, so... The game picks up 20 years after the game's prologue. By the way, can I just mention, the game's prologue is genuinely one of the most heartbreaking scenes in a game ever. Ever. I cannot emphasize this enough. It is. I've played games which have had heartbreak written all over them. Like, I've I've openly wept at Metal Gear Solid 3's ending. I have cried at... Journey. Most recently, I cried um, at the Last Guardian, and but honestly, I don't think you will find a more heartbreaking um, moment in a game than Sarah's death. Than the uh, in the Last of Us, it was just genuinely heartbreaking, and I mentioned this. I got the chance to interview Neil Druckmann for, for PlayStation Magazine for a big feature we did in The Last of Us. And I mentioned it to him at the time of how Sarah's, like, the game, like, usual, eh, most games, like, take a while to, you know, pull you into their world, into the story, like, it takes about a few hours at a time. With The Last of Us, mm. it took something like 15, 20 minutes, and that was with the prologue of that game. And I think that's to a big credit to the game, and uh, and managed to do that in such short time. Um, but I digress. Um, your question. So, um, so the game takes place across four seasons. Uh, I'm trying to think of the wrong order. Um, it was I think summer, autumn, winter, spring. Um, so summer was in Boston, and then Billstown. Um. And then, and then Pittsburgh. Um, autumn was Tommy's outland town, and then Colorado. Winter was the big snowy uh, blizzard level where you play as Ellie. That is my favorite level. And then um, spring is Salt Lake City and the giraffes and the hospital. And I like how I just mentioned giraffes in reference to the actual spring level, as if there's nothing else <laughs> in that level. Um, well, it's the main thing you remember. <laughs> um, winter, for me, just completely blows everything else in the game away. Like, um, playing as Ellie was just an amazing moment for me in that game. In that, it just felt right. Cause it felt like the game was, in hindsight, setting her up, and building her up as a character to survive. And the game's um, tagline is basically survive and endure. And in, I don't think there is a much better emphasis on that um, tagline than in winter because here Ellie has to survive and endure not just survive 
you know the clicker on um the clicker on set but also you know just generally survive eat and all that there like she has to hunt for food she hunts for deer at this sort of winter she has to look after joel who's just gotten severely injured and then she has to deal with david which is david you know played by no north like david and his group of cannibals and i think how nolly dog designed that entire section of the game and how then you're in the town and you have to you know escape david through the big snowy blizzard and then find yourself in the diner and then you have to hide from david and then try and kill him and it's at the end of that section of the game where ellie truly emerges in the worst possible way because like at that point she still she before that she's still a kid she still have she still has some semblance of innocence around her but by the end of winter she realizes that that she's she's basically emotionally and mentally cracked at that point by um by by um Noel North's character and um to the point where after you know defeating him and I say defeating him it's not the best mm. term to use but like it's <laughs> when Ellie kills kills him like she's just hacking away continuously 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 um not like you know a proper decisive blow like once or twice but like just continuously hacking away onward on, like on and 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 then Joel runs and like and she's just like kind of jumpy at this point like that kind of emotional high the adrenaline high and at that point and she run and Joel runs and grabs her like I got you um baby girl and all that there and I was just like fuck I can't do this anymore <laughs> like that was the point that was the exact point that The Last of Us became my favourite game and it was such um, a very emotional nerve wracking scene at the end of winter it was such a well designed piece of uh, game basically it was such a well designed um, part of the game gameplay wise story wise it was just brilliant cool Good answer. Um, so I'm going to now throw in a curveball oh and say, okay, so that's your favourite bit of the game. Do you have a bit of the game that you don't like? Not necessarily a whole season, no, but yeah, maybe yeah. if there's a certain segment that you don't like. I think I know in my head what I wasn't a huge fan of, but then, I don't know, like, do you have something? I'm trying to think. Of course, it's always kind of hard when you're talking about your favourite game to pick it apart. See, here's the, here's the thing. I've always been of the belief that nothing is ever perfect. And The Last of Us is definitely, yep. you know, not perfect. But in saying that, I can't recall anything that I can, you know, say is bad about the game or something that I don't like. Um, I'm trying to think really hard. I may have to put in some elevator music here. <laughs> time. Um. Ah. Um. I think the hospital section. Um. Oh, yeah. Was way, way, way too gamey. If that makes sense. Mm. Like. That does make like, sense. It's. 
it's notoriously difficult, even when playing on the normal difficulty. It's standard third person action trope in a game and I didn't like that at all. Like I like I think at that point it was more of a design level that was meant to be based around stealth, which was fine, I guess, but at the same time, considering the tone of what that piece of the game was going for and that Joel was trying to stop the fireflies from getting into, you know, Ellie's brain and, you know, have her be the cure of the cordyceps virus. Um, stealth wasn't exactly the best way to play that game. It was more um, kind of, for the lack of a better term, go all Rambo on it. Because, like, at that point, you are so emotionally invested in Ellie in that you need to do everything in your power to stop her. But at the same time, you're so pissed off about it that you have to try and... Not so much try, as much as you kill every person in sight uh, who is trying to stop you. And that section was not exactly the best one for me. Like, if you <laughs> ask me about the best I didn't like least about The Last of Us, that would be it. Um, in that, it, it was too hard, and I think it was designed something else in mind in terms of playstyle but yeah I think I think that that's basically it I think that no, that's, that's the only thing I don't like about The Last of Us <laughs> I think that's a good answer so I guess on the topic then of um, bad things should we talk about companion AI or should we just should we just leave that no no no, no let's talk companion <laughs> AI let's 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 did you did you have them ruin the game for you, or did did you ever feel that they they were counteractive to the experience that you should have been having? Because I know I felt that. Um. At least in a gameplay sense. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, like in yeah. terms of Ellie would you know appear out into a ground where there was enemies, like clicker enemies or human enemies, and like they yeah. would spot. Like, well, they yeah. Would, like, like yeah, like she would be directly exposed, but they wouldn't see her. But if they yeah. saw you as the player, as Joel, then yeah. Like, You're screwed. Like, yeah. I think um, Naughty Dog explained this. I can't remember the exact answer. Oh, really? But it would have just made things a lot harder. Oh, yeah. It, it would have, well, a, like a, a big thing within game design, you can't have a player feel like the game has broken their experience for them. And if the AIs stood up and the clicker saw them and came and killed you, you know... That'd be the game breaking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I understand that, but I don't know. It's just a something I wanted to bring uh, up. No, no, no. It's fine. Like it's fine. Uh, <laughs> I thought um, Ellie was one of the best AI characters I've ever encountered in a game. Like, not just in terms of you know, you know, because she is there standing beside you, but also because she does assist you in battle a lot more so than Elizabeth in. Bioshock Infinite and bio and like Elizabeth, you know, usually helps you out a lot in battle, like mm. guns and uh, stuff like Booker. Here's a coin, catch. Um, <laughs> I have such a good Booker <laughs> <laughs> or not Booker Elizabeth impression. Um, 
for me, Ellie is, yeah, like she is one of the best AI companions in a game, in that she feels human in a sense. Like she'll whistle with you, like like she'll learn to whistle. Mm. And like she'll say to Joel, "What? Oh look, look, I'm whistling, Joel. I'm whistling." Like like those kind of human elements, like that, like make her in a sense, and like you know, she'll help you in battle as well. Like she'll throw bricks at. Um, uh, um, clickers or human enemies, and yeah, I mean, I I I wrote about this actually kind of recently for my game of the year thing on my blog, and and how AI companions have kind of evolved even over the past decade or so, like from Gordon Freeman and Alex Vance in Half Life and its episodes through to, um. The boy in your or before that, um, the boy in Yorda from Eco, then through the Half Life, through to, um, Booker and Elizabeth to Bioshock Infinite, and then Joel and Ellie uh, in The Last of Us. Um, for the time for its time, yeah, Ellie was easily one of the best companions in a game, and I think her AI was definitely, you know, definitely fantastic it was um max dickoff who led up that team i think and he you know really he him and his team did a fantastic job in um creating ellie's ai at the time and i hope we'll see something similar for that um in the last of us part two but saying that i think we we can feel very lucky in that ai companionships and games and companionship stories in a game have gotten as good as they are because you know AI has mm. progressed, and like I know a lot of people, well not a lot of people, but like there are some people who you know pick on who are picking on it a little bit because of certain AI quirks, let's say. And you know exactly what game yeah. I'm, about, I'm about to say here, but I think the Last Guardian has absolutely you know nailed AI in that. Uh, Trico just feels so believable as a creature in that game. He is basically the living embodiment of a pet in a game. And if mm. and if and when you ever play it, then you'll know what I mean when I say Trico is just a breath of fresher to AI. But for The Last of Us, I think it really does AI very well. Like, I think that's the gist of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool so I mean we've spoken a bit about Ellie um, what do you think about the other characters in the game hmm the other characters in the game so Joel 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 Joel's basically a broken man um, when you first meet him again 20 years after the events at the start of the game like Joel's kind of um he's Joel is uh, like a broken man he's like when you first meet him at the start of the game, like, like literally at the start of the game, with Sarah lying on the sofa, he's kind of a family man, um, a loving father, but kind of snarky, witty man, in that he asks Sarah how he, how she paid for the watch she just gave him for his birthday, and then she quits back drugs. I said hardcore drugs, and then he quits back. Well, good, you can start paying for the for the mortgage. <laughs> um, and then after when Sarah dies, he just feels like, is there something like, is there something worth fighting for anymore? And with 
Joel, like initially at first, he's very reluctant, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's very reluctant of Ellie anyways, like, like he doesn't want to get too close to her, he doesn't want to get too close to her, because like with Sarah and all that there, he doesn't want to kind of get anywhere near that again. Um, he's a very dynamic character in terms of his relationship with Ellie. And the fact that at the end of the game, you get told that lie, and we all know the lie here. Um, it shows how far he is willing to go at any cost to protect her from both from a physical sense and in um, a kind of mental sense as well in that I want to <coughs> I want to kind of protect you from this bad nasty world in a sense and if that means I, me having to lie to you so be it um, other characters in the game other characters David um, David is I think such he, he is such a nasty character but what makes me so impressed about that character is the fact that if you had told me that was Nolan North before the car uh, the credits came up I would have told you fuck off that is not Nolan North <laughs> that is absolutely not Nolan North um, and it kind of tells you a lot about how good of an actor he is and that he can you know do you know so many sides of a like he can do so many different aspects to a character rather than do the kind of Typical tropey no North voice of a character as we've kind of known, kind of come to know him as now at this point. This kind of no North Troy Baker tropey voice in the industry, like um, in terms of the, these are the only two voice actors in the industry at that point. Mm -hmm. That kind of joke, but David yeah. David is such a weird twisted character. Um, Bill is actually. One old character, like there's so many great characters in the game, but Bill is one old character I want to reference as well. In that he's kind of the same as Joel, in that he's had a loved one taken away from him, but in that with Joel, he's had his daughter taken away. Bill is at least Joel doesn't mask that to an extent, whereas with Bill. He's like a kind of closed book, and his like his partner, um, he you find find him hanged in his town, like, and that kind of you see glimpses of, glimpses of him being vulnerable, but he locks it up again near enough immediately. And when I say his partner, I I mean his actual you know romantic partner because Bill is gay, and um. That's another thing The Last of Us does really well, in that it does have gay characters in the game, but at the same time, they don't put them on a pedestal. They don't, you know, put a big, you know, spotlight on them. That was that yeah. was really impressive, and the stories they told with Bill, and then with Ellie and Riley and Left Behind, which I'm sure we'll touch upon in a minute, but how they deal with them characters and like not make them a big deal. While has the while have the story, you know, be so compelling as queer characters, that was great. That was genuinely great. Um, 
yeah, there, there are other characters in the game that uh, you know that stand out <laughs> for me. I'm sure, like Tommy and and all that down there. But I think those are besides Joel and Ellie. Those are the like, Bill's the big one for me in terms of the one that stands out for me, anyways. Yeah, um, and so just briefly talking about other types of characters in um, in the form of the enemies. What did you think of? them putting the clickers into the game and how they're instead death uh, like and of course not not many games at the time had really gone to that extent there were a few things here and there um but nothing really went that kind of you know completely abrupt in in the nature of killing so what did, what do you think about those because i absolutely love the clickers to death if you ask me um but i was interested in hearing what you thought so here's the thing. I'm not very good with horror games. Like, 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 <laughs> like I say, The Last of Us is not a horror game, and it's not. But at the same time, it has those kind of horror tropes. And I'm not very good with horror games. Like, I have a few horror games here, but like, like on my shelf, like I've only barely played, you know, Alan Wake and Silent Hill Three and Resident Evil Four, and even Resident Alan Wake's Evil 4 good. Is the big action game. Um, mm. uh, at least for me. Um, but. In terms of The Last of Us, like, it is primarily an action game, but it does have the, those horror tropes, and I think the clickers are definitely one of them. And I think for me, the clickers were definitely scary at numerous points in the game. Like, there's two, maybe three bits that stand out for me in terms of um, atmosphere and the clickers, in that the first bit was towards the end of the game and Salt Lake City mm. in the tunnel and oh, yeah. like there was a whole swarm of them and like that was this was the kind of bit where I thought oh no 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 there's too many of them I can't deal with this and then you had the various types of clickers as well like you had the normal clickers you had the, the boomers um, um I say boomers I don't know if that's the right term for them but um and you also had, I'm sure there was other types of clickers, but I can't recall what those were. Um, um, the other bit was Boston in the underground with, oh, um, I forgot about Tess. I know, I know we just skipped past the whole characters, but I completely forgot about Tess. Um, so, Boston and um, the underground bit were you, um, Ellie, and Tess. Um, you have these kind of whole swarm of clickers, and it's worth bearing in mind, like in case anybody listening to this doesn't know, and they've not played it. And by the way, if you haven't played it yet, what the fuck's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> the clickers are blind, but they can hear very well. They're basically like bats, and that they can't see, but they can hear really well. Like their sonar, and you would have to, you know, be very careful walking around them. And if any level in that game represented horror at at its biggest, then I would say the Boston on the ground definitely had that. Um in terms of its design, I was from a gameplay perspective on the insta death. I don't know if I actually recall having that many deaths in the game playing it. As a clicker, I think it was only when I first encountered um, the big, the big daddy of them all. Um, mm. 
in the gym in Billstown where I kind of got my first clicker death and like there are a lot of gory deaths in games like if you kill off Laura Croft in the Tomb Raider reboots recently like those deaths are very sickly and gory but The Last of Us um, has them as well in spades and like the clicker deaths like when they bite into your neck it's really really bad and like the only way you can still um stave off insta death is if you have a shiv on you like one or two shivs mm. um and otherwise like like you say it's insta kill you're dead but even then it's not just with the clickers like there's very gory deaths in the game anyways with human enemies as well with um um yeah like with the human enemies and it's it's a very like I think it's clear at this point it's a very gory game not just in terms of your deaths from the clickers or the humans killing you but also in terms of limbs blowing off whenever you throw pipe bombs or grenades or whatever like it is it goes without saying a very 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 gory game okay so what did you think about the ending that's the million dollar question isn't it <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's pretty clear, obviously, that Ellie knows that what Joel is telling him is a lie. And I think it's as clear as it gets. Like, um, Neil Druckmann did a talk about this um, just before Remastered came out. In, okay. In, I think it was in Canada, I think it was at this point. I, I remember listening to it on a bus to Dublin because I was doing interview prep for the piece I mentioned earlier on The Last of Us with Druckmann for Official PlayStation Magazine. I remember listening to it um, on the bus down to Dublin because I was going out to see some family. But I I was listening to um, Druckmann's talk at the time. Um, But he said, and I'm paraphrasing here so I might be wrong, but Mm. um, it was more interpretation in that... Most people assumed that, yes, Joel was lying to Ellie and Ellie knew immediately and that was the look. But Druckmann said it was more than that in that, yes, she knew he was lying to her but at the same time she was accepting it because Joel has gotten her so far, he's protected her throughout the course of a year and in turn she's helped to protect him uh, during a period in that year and that she can't go on without him in a sense but at the same time there is a certain sense of trust that has been broken um, between Mm. the two of them and that was his interpretation of the ending. I think it was. I'm like again. I'm paraphrasing, but like we all know, you know, Joel's lying to her. But that was kind of Druckmann's interpretation of it. Um, in terms of you know doing an ending of that style itself in a game, like it was very, very risky because there's no game has done an ending like that, or at least very rarely. 
And, you know, Naughty Dog had the balls to do that. Like, it was not the typical Hollywood ending in that either no. it was going to be a happy ending or that one or the other would die having to sacrifice the other. In fact, that was actually kind of what Naughty Dog were hinting at mm. uh, in one of their trailers. In fact, here's a tip for anyone watching promotional trails of um, Naughty Dog's games. Don't ever believe everything they say <laughs> because they lied about Ellie being playable in the game. They lied about the hint at Joel nearly dying in the game. They did the same kind of something similar of Uncharted 4, although I can't remember what it was. So basically, don't take anything that Naughty Dog says at face value. If you think they might be telling you a lie on something, there's a good 50-50 chance that that is going to be a lie. So don't take what they say at face value. <laughs> um, well, things change in development and like, like, they no, won't like, always this, know exactly how is, things this go. This is the thing. Like, Druckmann said before the game came out, you would not play as Ellie. Um, later on, um, you play as Ellie and in the grounded documentary, he admitted like he, he was having to uh, lie to journalists about having to play a, a as Ellie, and he, and then he recalls, "Sorry, journalists." I was like, "Fuck you, motherfucker!" <laughs> you have to keep some things as a surprise no, do, for the players do, out there. But at the same time, like, Naughty Dog has a tendency to kind of lie a little bit just to kind of preserve the surprises, which is fair enough. So, but but that kind of ties into my point. Don't believe everything they say. <laughs> your sanity will be a lot more preserved um I do want to make one more note about the ending itself and that it was very left field in that it wasn't the ending I was expecting even <clears throat> even when you know Joel was lying and that he was he killed Marlene and that the fireflies would you know eventually chase him or whatever I honestly thought like Joel would know, but Ellie wouldn't. Like, it was a kind of, you know... What's the term I'm looking for? It was a kind of... Protect her from the truth, basically, type of thing. Rather than her find out by herself. Um, Mm. So... I think that in itself deserves applause from Naughty Dog. It was certainly, you know, definitely... And 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 ending a really good ending at that, and something new in a game. And I was like, like how 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 did you f- find it? And I was in terms of the ending. Well, I think the kind of tarnish that I had on it was the the level beforehand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just... I just had to fight through that hospital, and I was just I think I felt like I was sick of fighting because so you I I found it interesting you saying oh Last of Us is an action game so I. I played Last of Us as a stealth game to heart, but that's because of the kind of player I am. Um, and that hospital was so hard to play in that way, even though it was meant to be played like that. Um, and I think that kind of tainted it because I was like, I was relieved that the game was over, if you get what I mean. Because yeah. after having to fight through all of that, I was kind of like, okay, it's finally over now. And then when it ended, I was like, oh, okay, okay. That's the end. Like, 
kind of abrupt. I, yeah, abrupt and like kind of in that. Well, it's it's really in that kind of uh, TV series filmic kind of way of we're gonna leave this here, and you know it's gonna come back eventually, and then see where it goes from there. <laughs> so I was like, okay. I played this. This is alright. Uh, it's funny you mentioned how you tried playing it, the hospital bit and stuff, because that basically ties into what I basically said earlier, in that 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 level was meant to be something that it shouldn't be. Like it should have been a proper, you know, guns blazing mm. action, you know, bit. But at the same time, because it was so difficult and got too tropey for its own good, and plus the fact that it, it was just oh. Oh. I, th- I just think it's a shame that like that that level I'm sure could have stopped people from playing because you, mm. you do get that in a lot of games you'll get certain levels which people will bat their heads against a wall trying to get through it and then eventually give up and I think some people would of course have been like okay I've got this far I have to get through this the game must be over soon it feels like it's going to be over um, but the fact that I don't know. Last levels generally get left till quite late in development. Um, last levels also don't always get as many eyes on them as you'd hope because they're the last level. If people play a game in chronological order when you're creating it, sometimes the last level won't get looked at so much or like the last from few. And um, at least in, you know, big old development. Uh, and I, I just think it's a shame that it felt to me that 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 was the weak point of the game and it was right at the end so that would be some a person's like last taste of the game their last experience and mm. it might have left yeah. people sour yeah like with me I was just getting so frustrated more and more just throwing mm. the pad down like, <laughs> like stop being so notoriously difficult yeah. it should not be this hard but yeah oh, I was playing it on normal as well yeah so, do we want to talk about multiplayer? Multiplayer, 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 multiplayer. I'm not a big multiplayer guy, and I've not played a great deal of The Last of Us multiplayer. No. But I have um, played, you know, quite a good bit of it. Um, like, not a lot of it to talk at length about it. Oh, yeah. Because, like, I am a big, you know, story-driven guy. Oh, yeah, um, like, same same here. Like, but I've played, you know, hours of it, I don't know. Um... I think the way they tie in a meta-narrative into it between the two gangs in the game, the two groups, was fantastic. And how you had to collect resources over over, um, various game modes was uh, genius. Um, Like, with Uncharted, um, Uncharted's multiplayer, it's basically, you know, typical third-person multiplayer by by the numbers, which which is fine. It works. It's not tacked on compared to most, you know, other multiplayer suites. It, it works. But with The Last of Us, it has a very narrative-driven... Not very narrative-driven, but it has a... But more so than other games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it has a narrative in that... Small narrative in that multiplayer. And I could appreciate that. Um, in terms of how it worked... Like, it was fine. I enjoyed it. Like, it was basically still a bad numbers, you know, multiplayer in itself. But um, it, the reason I enjoyed that more than Uncharted's multiplayer, I still yet to touch Uncharted 4's multiplayer even, by the way, um, is that because of that narrative, it gave me incentive to go back 
and collect resources um, collect food for my um, gang of survivors who had you know come in to my uh, my, my neighborhood and all that there like I even love the fact that they had these kind of survivors come in to your group that um, every time you played a game of multiplayer they would be based around your Facebook friends yep. if you hooked up your Facebook I like that I really like that <laughs> a lot um, but it also means that you have that XCOM conundrum and that yeah. if one of your friends dies you just feel no. I find I find that funny that you call it uh, XCOM conundrum because it's a cannon fodder conundrum. Yeah. Cannon fodder came first, <laughs> but it's the older school version, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but you you were well, young and not that I'm old. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but um. No, I really, I definitely really enjoyed um, Last of Us multiplayer. Like, a lot more so than most multiplayer games. I, don't mm. I would say off one hand, there's multiplayer games that I've enjoyed to the point that I would keep coming back for them on a regular basis. That's, or, or at one time or another, that would be Metal Gear Online 2, Overwatch, Splatoon, and the original Gears of War. But, Last of Us multiplayer, you know, at the time, like, anyways, on PlayStation 3 and a lot more so on remastered uh, on PlayStation 4 because you had all the maps mm. at that point and all the content. Um, I, it was, it was definitely a competent, really good multiplayer suite, actually. A lot, um, a lot more enjoyable, a lot more fully stacked than most multiplayer suites. Uh, in games at that point at that time anyways cool yeah my only issue was uh, when I played it I'd always get with randoms and they didn't know how to play the game <laughs> or they were playing it wrong at least according to how I wanted to play it it's basically the Overwatch conundrum <laughs> we talk about the XCOM conundrum it's basically the Overwatch yeah. conundrum in that they're not escorting the payload yeah. only, they're not only to the last of us variant of it this time okay so should we talk about the DLC Let's talk left behind, I guess. Yeah. Um, I love it. I genuinely love it so much. Not just because of story aspects, but also from a gameplay aspect as well. And, uh, um, like, it is just two teenage girls running about a mall, having fun, and this kind of innocence they have before they end up losing it, in, in Riley's case, permanently, because, mm. you know, turns into a clicker and then subsequently dead I assume because we don't ever actually see her die um, I think left behind there's three DLCs that I hold up in really high regard and I think they're the three best DLCs of all time there's really good DLCs out there story driven DLCs that I think that are really good but, the, but these three I think are the best DLC of all time and that's um, Mass Effect 3 Citadel mm. um Grand Theft Auto 4, The Ballad of Gay Tony, and to a lesser extent, The Lost and Damned, but I would say oh, yeah. Ballad of Gay Tony and Left Behind. Um, and Citadel is about four hours. Um, Ballad of Gay Tony is a big full expansion rather than a DLC, whereas Left Behind is only 90 minutes long, but you really get your money's worth out of that 90 minutes to two hours long with it. Um, 
Left Behind narratively sets a set between the end of autumn and the start of winter and you have to look after Joel and you have to recoup um, you have to find a first aid kit for him like gather you know resources to help stitch up the wound he got at the end of autumn um, while well, simultaneously flashing back to Ellie who's at a board military boarding school at the time and Riley who's I think just got expelled or something um, from that same board school and they all and they've had a fallen out um, a while back or, and like they all like Riley tries to win over Ellie again to be her friend and they all go to the mall and they do the most innocent of things like ride the carousel do the photo booth which I absolutely adored um, I love the fact that you could post those images on your Facebook as well um, even even the tiny things in that but like when I did that interview with Neil Druckmann for official PlayStation magazine he told me that that one bit um, I can't remember if he meant financially or even um, oh no no it wasn't financially but um, Druckmann told me in that interview for OPM that that photo booth section was harder to do than the entire hotel section in Uncharted <laughs> 2 in terms of, you know, assets and all that there. The brick throwing was kind of core gameplay. The water gun, that was an early idea. That was core gameplay. And those were easier, I think, to figure out. But then the photo booth, that must have gone through a dozen iterations and... I tell people this, it's like that was as hard to create as the collapsing building in Uncharted 2, as far as resources, as far as animation, um, as far as like time spent on it. Um, but it, and it takes all these new, it takes like the dialogue has to be perfect. The, how quickly you press the buttons between the options that you have has to work. The, the timing of the humor has to work. Uh, and then it has to fit in this larger arc of um, the relationship between Ellie and Riley. So when you finish the photo booth, you get a hint of like, well, this relationship is more than a friendship. Druckmann told me in that interview for OPM that that photo booth section was harder to do than the entire hotel section <laughs> in Uncharted 2 <laughs> in terms of, you know, assets and all that there. And I find that hard to believe because this, the hotel section in Uncharted 2 was such massive mm. spiral thing set pieces and all that there whereas the booth photo booth was just this kind of nice little cool serene moment featuring two friends taking photos and i really enjoyed that like down to the little details like um ashley johnson and um the actress who plays right i can't remember her name i'm, I'm very sorry um like all of them just acting like pure children at that point. Like I love, I love that. I love the performances. I love the fact that they sh they were so innocent. I love the icons, um, where you get to choose the kind of uh, reaction you're going for in the photos. By the way, uh, interesting tidbit: that art, those little icons, was done by 
uh, Alex Nilunaki, who was on the show last year, or this <laughs> year. Well, it is kind of technically last year at this point. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Alex did um, those little icons, and she did the um, she helped design the UI in the game, uh, which, by the way, I should point out, is one of the best UI designs in a game. It's so clean, so... Yeah, it's, it's just so great. But, um... That photo booth was just... Oh, it was, like, peak, peak, peak. Um, friendship at that point uh, like if if they had fallen out at that point that friendship was back at that point in the photo booth and then you know going on the carousel throwing bricks at jeeps where Ellie just basically screams brick fucking master and um, you know playing the imaginary arcade game even though it's broken so she has to imagine it love that and then, of course, we can't talk Left Behind without, you know, the kiss. Which is, honestly, one of the most sweetest moments in a game that I've ever encountered. And it's just... I mean, what can you say to that? I mean, like, it was just so unexpected. Although, in hindsight, now, like, there were vibes at the time thinking, is something going to happen? <laughs> but... Even then, when I had those vibes, it was still so unexpected, but it was still something so sweet, so lovely. And I love the fact that then that kind of sweetness, that innocence, is then taken away very abruptly by the clickers running around the corner and then just like, yeah, time to uh, high-end it out of here. And that was like, no, give them another moment. <laughs> because it was so sweet. And like, like there was no regrets from the both of them. I really loved that scene. It was just so wonderful. And from a gameplay perspective, I guess, Left Behind really um, did a few new things that the last um, that the main game didn't do. Um, like, towards the end of Left Behind, you have the opportunity to have clicker and human enemies battle against one one another in that you could sneak out one area and then get back into the main foyer so rather than you know take like you had the option to take them out you know one by mm. one or whatever but at the same time you could play them off against one another and use that to get out from that area and then sneak down into the foyer um so that was like the big gameplay design twist for Left Behind and I really enjoyed that and I hope for part two they really you know refine on that and have that be a big core um, mechanic of the game anyways but yeah I, I, I adore Left Behind just as much as the main game itself it's just so good and if you don't have the le- um, the main game itself, you can get left behind on the PS Store standalone. And if nothing else, I sincerely check. I sincerely advise you check that out. It is such a good piece of content. It's mm. ninety minutes long, two hours long. It's no more long than say a playthrough of Journey. It's easily worth checking out. Easily. Yeah, I mean, it's like you know the length of a film. Anyone can find that time to play that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know why I didn't say I didn't make that comparison. I just called it. A, I just called it a comparison journey. Um, journey. So like, whereas I'd whatever. be like, pretty sure it took me a lot longer than two hours to play Journey. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
cool so is there anything else that you would like to say that you really liked about the last of us i mentioned the ui didn't i, I mentioned you mentioned um, the ui, UI. Yeah. yes okay this is good because i got a prep i got it got a prep alex neonaki for that <laughs> and i'm not just saying that because she was a guest on the show that is actually a really good ui <laughs> um i think hmm let me have a think Hmm, I may need to put elevator music in here. There is actually one thing. Um, yeah. I mentioned the prologue of the game. Um, and in turn, connecting that with how you play as Ellie rather than Joel in Winter. Um, I really love the fact that you play as Sarah in the start of the game. Oh yeah, of course Joel. you do, don't you? Yeah. And um, I was talking to Druckmann about that for PM, um, and they had planned to actually, you know, have you play as Joel at the beginning of the game rather than Sarah, but then you never really encounter the terror that a child has when this big catastrophe goes off, and it's a feeling that's not been encountered in a game before, and so that was. Um, and again, I'm paraphrasing here, but like that's kind of why they had Sarah, you know, have her play, play as her at the start of the game. I love that so much, and like even the little bits, like as you're exploring around the house, as you you know see what's unfolding. Even before that, um, you wake up in the middle of the night, and you find the card you were meant to go give the toll, um, and she's like dang it, I forgot to give him his card. And then, like, that kind of small, tiny bits of innocence. And, like, it's, it's, it's a small bit of innocence, but, like, the game is built around innocence, in a sense. And how that gets kind of broken. Mm. Or, in another way, metaphorically, and, in some cases, literally, killed. Um, and as you play the start of the game, as Sarah that kind of innocence slowly slowly starts getting taken away from her um from when you go into joel's room and you see the tv on and the the news reports come in about the clicker outbreak and the big explosion ahead which you can see in the tv for uh, not the tv first you could hear in the window uh, yeah what am i talking about like you can hear on the tv first but you can see in the window first because that kind of delayed reaction. And then you go downstairs and there's no one there. It's pitch dark. And then you find this kind of phone. It's it's Joel's phone. It's Tommy texting him. Where are you? And all that there. Like At that point, you start realizing something's up here. Something's not right. And then Joel comes in. You kill your next door neighbor who's starting to turn as a clicker. And you're shielding... Um, Sarah at this point and that's that kind of petrified fear that you encounter playing as her from start all the way through to when your car gets totaled in the town at the start of the game and I think that putting as a result putting her as the playable character for the start of the game was just brilliant I absolutely loved that I think that's the only other thing that I really mm. like that I've not got to talk about until now. I think. Yeah, I, I, 
I had completely forgotten that you do actually play as her. Because um, I think I remember when I when I started up, I think I was back. I think I was back in older shot, and um, I think the lights were off in the room when I was playing it, and I was playing it and like my twin and our partners were both like watching i think the lights were off which was good because of how emotional it is um but yeah we were all just like kind of set back by it because we didn't know what to expect for the start of the game mm. and it it is a really good start to a game mm, it's in the same way the ending is such a left turn from the kind of tropey endings it's the same here with the start and like it's very left field yeah it's not what you'd expect exactly like it's it it deserves a lot of credit Emmett's for sure and that it like it 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 it, it avoids doing the usual I really yeah. like that Okay, so we've talked about The Last of Us quite a bit, with it being your favourite game. So, what are your honourable mentions? What didn't make the cut? What didn't make the cut? Oh, there are so many games that didn't make the cut. <laughs> I know, you um, sent me a picture, right? <laughs> Ages ago. There's a lot of games there. There was a lot of games there. Um, so, I have to mention this at the top, because quite frankly... If it isn't The Last of Us, this is my favourite game. Metal Gear Solid 3, I have to mention that. Quite frankly, I could make an entire segment of Metal Gear Solid 3. <laughs> um, Metal Gear Solid 3 is basically the game that made me want to write, and therefore, in turn, made me want to write about games for my favourite places, especially Eurogamer. Um, Metal Gear Solid 2 will briefly touch upon as well, because that's on the list as well. Um, but Metal Gear Solid 3 is, if not The Last of Us, my actual favourite game because of its story and yeah, its gameplay is fantastic but its story is made, Metal Gear Solid 2 was batshit insane basically but Metal Gear Solid 3 
and kind of Metal Gear style try to ground it as much as possible but then it is Metal Gear there is no such thing as grounded Metal Gear um I that game has a special meaning for me two special meanings for me in that one it was my favourite game for eight years and it made me want to write about games but also and I've mentioned this on the show before in that it helped me during a very hard period in my life and that was when my mum was ill and then when she subsequently died um this was two years ago um and just before she passed i remember sitting by her bedside playing metal gear Solid 3 by her bedside on my vita and i recall that being such a massive massive coping support for me in terms of just giving me a distraction while all this was going on and I'll say like for like as much as I've talked about Ellie and Ellie being an amazing character she is like Ashley Johnson does her justice supremely to the point that if I were to talk your ear off about Ellie, you could say she's my favorite female character in a game, or even female favorite uh, favorite character in a game. She's not. The boss in Metal Gear Solid Three is, and I'll tell you why. The boss is one of the very few female characters in a Metal Gear game, which is designed with respect for the character because obviously there's that whole debacle that went around with Quiet and Paz with the two Metal Gear Solid 5 games the boss at a time when Metal Gear female characters were actually you know given respect the boss was the best of the lot for me um, her character design her, her strong willed character um, personality her traits she was badass she was strong-willed, and those were traits I found in my mum, actually, before she passed. And that was kind of why I resonated with her a lot more. Even more than when I did playing the game so many times before um, playing it on the Vita. Um, the only thing I would criticise about that character design is how Konami um, subsequently, you know showed her off in a kind of sexier way mm. provocative provocatively sex sexual way with the suit kind of zipped down halfway shows a cleavage a little bit um in cover arts or in um statues and dolls and all that there that i didn't like but other than that i i genuinely love the boss so much and metal gear solid has for me the best boss fights in the series um that typically signify the feelings of each um, boss in the Cobras and the Fury is you know a, such such a pain in the ass although not as much as the end admittedly the fear like they're all great but I think the best one for me is the boss at the end it's just so good um like what can you say it is it is for me Kojima's masterpiece and I am forever grateful to that game uh, <laughs> in numerous ways and, and I could talk as much about Metal Gear Solid 3 as much as I have 
than The Last of Us in regards to it being my favourite game. I could talk to you as much about Metal Gear Solid 3. It is just such a special game for me. Um, Journey is a game that I uh, is another one. It is short, but at the same time, so special, so unique, so powerful in terms of its message and how it's open to interpretation. I'm so lucky in that I have had Robin Honecky and Kit Santiago mm. on the show and uh, the chance that I've got to tell them about how Journey means to me is one of my favourite games, my top three favourite games of all time. Um, it is such a special, special game. And next year um, is the fifth anniversary of the game coming out and I hope to do something very special to mark that um, both from a professional perspective well, um, hopefully that comes off but I adore Journey so much and I I I will happily I was going to say as well about Metal Gear Solid 3 I will happily play Journey on any platform it comes out on now. Mm. If it comes out on PlayStation 9, I will happily buy it <laughs> on that system. Um, another Kojima game, but not Metal Gear, and it's perhaps a game that I've subtly hinted at, hinted at being such a fanboy of so much in the past few years of the show. Um, Zone of the Enders, the second Sorry. runner. Um, I love this game so much. It does not get enough love. Um, I'm not a big mecha kind of guy. Like, I'm not into Gundam and all that there. But I adore Zone of the Enders. Um, Zone of the Enders 1 was a good proof of concept. But Zone of the Enders 2 refined it in every possible sense. In terms of art design, gameplay, fast-paced gameplay even. Um, even the story as well. Like, they really, you know moved away from the kind of cel-shaded realistic well not cel-shaded but the kind of realistic look of the first game which I think kind of dragged it down to the kind of anime cel-shaded look that they went for in the second game I really love that and the gameplay in Zone Enders 2 feels a lot more faster fast-paced gameplay um, it's such an utter joy to play I can't if you have a PS3 or Xbox 360 I highly recommend you check out the HD collection uh, um, for Zone Under 2. It's such a good game. But if you have a PS3, I especially recommend the PS3 version because it is actually supremely better than the PlayStation 2 version um, in terms of performance and frame. It's such a great, <laughs> great game. Um, Uncharted 2, I mentioned uh, during The Last of Us. Um, it is... Like, if it's not The Last of Us, then Uncharted 2 is my favourite Naughty Dog game. Um, for me, the one bit in that game that defines Uncharted 2, and for a lot of the Uncharted series, is the hotel set piece in Shambhala. Um, um, Uncharted is built on set pieces. Oh, yeah. Um, but there have been very few set pieces that have come before or even after it since then that have topped that hotel set piece it is such a phenomenal set piece like i think the closest that have come to beating it in in terms of set piece sorry in the uncharted games is the madagascar jeep sea the jeep jeep, jeep chase 
uh, in Uncharted 4 this year. That was really great, but I think that the hotel set piece still, you know, beats it considerably. Not to mention, um, Uncharted 2 was the first time where we realised you could take story a lot more seriously in games. Um, it was such a well-written story, and gameplay-wise, like what can you say? It, it, it was a typical third-person action shooter, action game. But like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I mentioned like for the first time, story like how we could take that a bit more seriously now with Uncharted Two. I think that's because of the relationship between Drake and Tenzin and and that was in itself an inspiration for The Last of Us and so yeah Uncharted has its root uh, Last of Us has has its roots set in Uncharted 2 in more ways than one not to mention the fact that I am personally of the belief that the four core leads of that game Amy Hag, Bruce Drilly, Neil Druckmann and Richard LaMarchand are for me the best set of core developers you will find on a game ever, on any one game ever, in the same way you'd find John Romero, American McGee, um, John Car- Carmack, McGee, Romero, all those types of them, them kind of developers from the old days, doing Doom and Wolfenstein, for me, Hennig, Strady, Lamarchand and Druckmann is that my generation of that core group from Ed for me. Um, what else? Mass Effect 2, which I realise <laughs> Mass Effect gets so many honourable mentions and yet we've never done an episode of my favourite game on it at all yet. <laughs> it's it's baffling how we've not had that so far. Um, Mass Effect 2 is honestly for me my favourite RPG. It's just such a great story, great core group of characters like Garrus, Liara, although Liara's not as prominent in this one. Um, it's... I really need to play Mass Effect 2 again at some point because just to refresh myself on everything in that game, but it refines the story, the great story of Mass Effect 1. It completely overhauls the gameplay of one to the point where one feels dated now, gameplay-wise, um, and feels so satisfying to play. Um, like it's it's such a great game. Um, although so is everything else in my list, as is Life is Strange, um, which is a relatively new game in this list, um, which I only put on here about a, about a year ago. Um, story perfect near perfect episodic you know it kept you on on the episodic formula just worked perfectly for the game i think if it was just a continuous 10 12 hour game with no breaks i don't think it would have been as good whereas with an episodic you know formula it it worked perfectly for me um max and chloe's friendship was just a breath of fresh air and the soundtrack was just... If I say the story was near perfect, the soundtrack was perfect. So, so perfect. Mount Washington, Mogwai, Fools. Um, oh, I could talk 
all day about how amazing that soundtrack is. In fact, I would say Kids Will Be Skeletons by Mogwai is one of my favourite songs of all time now because of that ending to episode 3. And the fact that they deal with big real-life scenarios in that game very delicately, like suicide, bullying, euthanasia, and even you know LGBT issues as well. I think a lot of credit deserves to go to Square Enix and Don't Nod, especially Don't Nod, yeah. for how they handled those um, and doing them in a way that any other, that no other game has done before, or if not, done them in a way that felt worthy of doing them, that it felt earned in a, in a very good way. So, like, that that's a big reason why Life is Strange is. Oh, yeah. You know, in there for me. Um, Persona 4 Golden, if you have not played that yet, why the fuck are you listening to this? Go play that now. <laughs> go and pick up a PlayStation Vita. Go pick up a PlayStation Vita TV. Um, pick up a PlayStation 2 even. Do you play vanilla Persona 4? And you will encounter the best JRPG in the past decade. It is so, so good. I cannot say that enough. GA for life. Um, Metal Gear Solid 2. Um, I is batshit insane but it is the first mature game that I've ever played mm. and it is I don't think if I had played Metal Gear Solid 2 I wouldn't have played Metal Gear Solid 3 and if I don't think I had played Metal Gear Solid 3 I wouldn't be writing for a living <laughs> so a kind of butterfly effect in a sense um, it is such a batshit insane story oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but Looking back on it now, it says a lot of things then that are starting to come true now. Um, in this kind of shit world that we have now. Um, in a kind of world that is going through a kind of unknown right now. Brexit, Trump and all sorts of bad shit going across the world. And... How technology has this big influence on us and AI and censorship and all that, especially censorship. Um, it it was far ahead of its time for sure. Um, but it is still to this day, 15 years on, such a marvellous, marvellous game. And I think at some point I'm definitely you know going to go back and play it um, for sure. And not to mention... Scary Skullface Colonel is still deeply <laughs> scarred in my head for the rest of my life, and I will forever be scared of that AI bastard. Thank you very much, Hideo Kojima. I will never <laughs> forgive you for that. As much as I will give you leeway from El Gear Solid 3, I will never forgive you for Scary Skullface Colonel, you son of a bitch. Um, and I guess my last honorable mention, because these are 10 games, and I gave you 10 games to talk about in your episode. <laughs> <laughs> I am actually kind of debating my 10th spot at this point because initially it was Grand Theft Auto 4 and I think Grand Theft Auto 4 is a fantastic game um, because it felt like the arrival of a more grounded Rockstar Games in that it was doing less funny stuff in its games, more grounded in its games, especially after... San Andreas and hot coffee and all that there. 
um, where they effectively got neutered by the US government. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people find Grand Theft Auto is too serious, especially for a Grand Theft Auto game. And I think they fixed that for the most part with the two DLC packs in GTA V. But I loved what they did with Grand Theft Auto 4. Um, I loved its grounded, t- grounded nature. I loved um, Nico Bellic as the main character. Um, I, 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 I think Grand Theft Auto 4 is a great game. But recently I've been debating the last spot on my list. And that's because of a recent addition. And that is The Last Guardian. Now I say that... Knowing that The Last Guardian just came out fairly recently. It only came out about a week and a half ago. As of recording this. Yeah, a week and a half. Ten days. Um, At least for me. Um, And so that's something I'm still going to debate about. But for me, The Last Guardian is my game of the year for sure. And I think there's a good chance it could end up being in my top ten ever. Um, Mainly because, while yes, it has flaws. Severely big flaws at that. At the same time, it is such a unique and fresh experience that it just blew me away in terms of the companionship between the boy and Trico. And like I said earlier with The Last of Us and the AI and how we went off the tangent about Trico. How Trico is this believable AI character in that... It still feels fresh in my head, so I, I guess I perhaps shouldn't talk about it too much. <laughs> uh, especially because there's su- such a fresh game, I don't want to spoil it for people. Yeah. But yeah, you don't want to spoil it. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I think for me, though, it is in the conversation, anyways. So it's still something I'll have to think about. Yeah. For now, for now, Grand Theft Auto 4 is in that top 10, but I think there's a good chance where. After everything is said and done, I think Grand Theft Auto... Oh, sorry, not Grand Theft Auto 4. Um, the Last Guardian is going to be in the top 10, for sure. It's such a phenomenal game. I can't recommend it enough. Okay, cool. So, I mean, it's it's a great list that you have, I think, your tops. And I've, I've got The Last Guardian, so I did pick it up. So, hopefully I'm going to play it over Christmas, because I've got some time off. Because um, it's not very long, from what no, I hear. No, it's, it's, it's about... 10 hours at yeah most. so i'll give you my opinion on it when i play it and uh, thank you for not spoiling it as well because i'm sure there'll be a lot of listeners who may not have picked it up yet um, <laughs> so that's really good um, I, I, I can't recommend it enough it's <laughs> such a phenomenal game really good
So, of course, Last of Us 2 very handily got announced quite recently, which is quite good for the timing for this, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, what what are you hoping? Or what are your thoughts on it? Or thoughts on the trailer? Uh, how they announced it? I What's really love it? how they announced it. I really do. But I should preface this by start, start by saying... I didn't want a sequel. You didn't want I, a sequel? I didn't want a sequel. I thought it was perfect. You just wanted it, it to like, finish. That was it. Like, it was a perfect one and done game. Like, you, like I cited New Country for Old Men as, as an example. You don't see a, a sequel for New Country for Old Men. You don't see a sequel for The Road. Or uh, there has been a sequel for The Road recently, hasn't there? Really? I think. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. But the, but no, I I I get what you mean. It's that kind of. It's not. It's not a mass market media that's trying to be put out every couple of years. It's like a nice contained experience, telling a story, and you want people to think about that story. Hmm. That's that's exactly it. And for me, The Last of Us just felt perfect as a self-contained story. Like there's no need to explore Joel and Ellie's story any further you could have made a case of exploring more of the world of The Last of Us the clickers the infected and the cordyceps virus but even then it just felt like it was a perfect one and done game now fair enough from a business perspective you, you're hardly not going to say there isn't going to be a second game. It sold a bajillion zillion copies. <laughs> That's an exact number there. <laughs> it, <laughs> like, it is an actual real number. It sold a lot. Oh yeah, it sold a it, it sold a lot. It did well critically. Won all the BAFTAs. Won all, well, not all the BAFTAs. Not all the BAFTAs, but quite a few. Let's just say it again. <laughs> um, like it did well critically. It won so many Guinea mm. Awards, like something like two hundred odd. Mm. Um, and like there was no chance in hell, at least from a business perspective, that they weren't going to do a sequel. And I, and like I, I was fa- I was open to that as it was, which was fair enough. But from a story perspective, I felt. It was fine as a self-contained game, but at the same time, I knew going into it there was going to be a Last of Us too because there were, it, it just made sense from a business perspective. So, you know, watching the trailer a few weeks ago, um, at the end of the PSX keynote, like there it is, the Firefly logo, and everybody loses their shit. Like okay, like at least aesthetically, this looks like Last of Us, and that's a good thing. Because it's how the guys age. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, this person, it's not determined to be a man or a woman at that point, has done something. that They have bloody knuckles. And then they pick up a guitar, start playing, and then Ellie starts singing. And I was like, oh, are you kidding me? At this point, like, I, I, I was actually kind of getting into it, but at the same point, I was like, are you kidding me? I don't want to play as Ellie. I don't want to play as Joel. And then Joel comes in. And then says, what are you doing? Like, uh, is this what you really want? I was like, do I really want to see more of Joel and Ellie's story? Um, and then Druckmann wrote on the PlayStation blog that... It was, he, like, he knew, like, there were certain aspects... Or not certain aspects, that they knew that there were certain, you know... 
criticisms of sorts. I, for the lack of a better term, I say criticisms, but like, he knew like maybe not a lot of people would want to see a sequel of the game. Like, I, like as well as me, there was a lot of people who felt it was perfect as a self-contained game. But then he said as well, just as he thought he was about to give up on you know making a story for the last of us part two because like um like there was aspects of it that weren't working and all that there. again i'm paraphrasing here and mm. actually double check the ps blog on what he's actually said he found a story strand to go from and you know that's kind of why we're going with joel and ellie again and ellie ellie's the playable character this time like the full playable character um, I think from what Druckmann has said and of what we've seen from the trailer and the, f- and the fact that this is not a dog while I was at the same time content of not seeing a sequel to The Last of Us um, I am willing to give them the benefit of the doubt I am because you know they made The Last of Us work so well and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely ready to see what they do with part two, um, and how they're going to develop that story between Ellie and Joel, especially if how that relationship between the two of them has developed, especially with that lie at the end of the last game, and how Ellie has developed as as a person because. When you first encounter Ellie in the first game, she is, like I said, this kind of sweet, innocent teenager. Ellie's 19 now, I think it was, they mentioned at PSX. And she's this kind of broken, torn down person now. It comes across that way. And how not only to deal with her psyche, but also the fact that she is infected with the, the virus, with the infection. And how they've hidden that from the first game with her new tattoo now. And in fact that really... Naughty Dog were actually teasing um, Last of Us 2 before the announcement. Because like, they had a poster of what turned out to be Ellie's tattoo design. Ah. On a poster. Um, for the day that celebrates the outbreak of the infection. They call it Outbreak Day. And they put, it on, they put the art design or... The strands of the design on a poster for fans to buy <laughs> and like this was before the game was announced and this brings me back to what i said earlier don't ever trust a lot of what naughty dog says because <laughs> sometimes they are lying to you to preserve the surprise of course but they are lying to you but um yeah i'll i'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt it looks really great by the first trailer um, as much love as I was to not have a second game, like uh, like I said, I didn't want to see a second game. I didn't want to see a second game of Ellen Joel. I I believe in Naughty Dog, in 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 Druckmann. I trust in Neil Druckmann. I trust in Naughty Dog. I trust. I trust them to do right by part two because like they nailed it with Uncharted. Two and four, mm. less so with one and three, but with <laughs> two and four and with Last of Us and Left Behind. So I think they're starting to, you know, fully, properly, you know, 
get story beats down a lot with each game they progress this they nail down story better and better and better and better with Uncharted 4 perhaps a step back in terms of pacing but story wise it was you know fine but they're really nailing their stories and I think with part 2 I I, I I believe I, I believe <laughs> basically so you, you keep saying um you didn't want a sequel with Joel and Ellie. Would you have rather then they focused on some different characters, like created some new ones within the world? Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, I'd, like like I said, I, I would have been fine if it was just one game, but if it was, there was going to be a second game, I would have been fine with just exploring new characters. Mm. I, w- I, re- I would have been interested to see if they would have explored a story elsewhere that, um, like see the viewpoint of the infection from elsewhere in the world like oh, yeah. if, it, if, it, if it had you know broken out outside the US like I want uh, there are I wonder if A Last of Us would have taken place in I don't know London or something like that there or even like if you want to go left field like with the certain end of The Last of Us 1 like take have it take place in a different country that isn't the um, whose country whose first language isn't English, and like have dialogue for that be I don't know, the main dialogue for that be French, German, Italian, or, or just have subs, like, and not have you know the actors speak English. That would have been an interesting concept for me, in that. Yeah, um, I think that like that. I mean, like that's kind of two ideas I have. Yeah. How they, they they would, I would like to see them do a Last of Us game in future, but like I said, like if Neil Druckmann has a way to make another story around Ellie and Joel work, then I'll give the benefit of the doubt. I'm in. <laughs> I can't walk 
on the path of the right Cause I'm wrong What are you doing, kiddo? You really gonna go through with this? I'm gonna find... and I'm gonna kill... every last one of them. Well, I don't know if you had anything else upcoming, like, I don't know, if you want to talk about next series of My Favourite Game or anything like that. <laughs> next season of My Favourite Game, that would be something to promote. <laughs> um, so, I guess you can find me at Johnny Cullen on Twitter, uh, that's a good place to start. You can mm -hmm. see my blog or website at johnnycullen.net where I write about games sometimes, but I also write sometimes about other things, like wrestling and how Bailey and Sasha Banks should fight again and why <laughs> they are destined to fight forever, even though Kat's, will, uh, Kat's laughing at me. She doesn't all know who Bailey and Sasha Banks I are. I don't. I, I used to be into wrestling when I was... <laughs> um, but, yeah, when it was like, uh, like The Rock and Mankind... <laughs> And this is like WrestleMania, what, 2000, I think it would have been, on the N64. Yeah. I remember getting that for Christmas one year. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> I haven't I haven't looked at it. I, I have friends who are totally into wrestling as well still. Um, and they love it. But, oh. <laughs> uh, go check out Bailey Sasha Banks. That's my fault. <laughs> um, you can, of course, my favourite game as well. Oh, well, mm. I guess you can find my writing every now and then at usual several places like VT24-7 and OPM um, I've also written for Eurogamer Polygon and all and official Xbox magazine um, of course my favourite game uh, follow us at MFG Podcast like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash my favourite game and as for next season um, 
plans are in motion, I guess. Awesome. Um, I've already recorded one episode. Oh, wow. I was, hope- I was hoping to do a few more before Christmas, but um, shit got in the way um, <laughs> that I won't elaborate on here oh, yeah. just yet. But um, I have one episode down, and in fact, I'm going to take this opportunity to announce the return of my favourite game of 2016. Yeah. Um, we have a few people coming in to do contributions to talk about their favourite game of 2016. Um, Tom Barmel's uh, back, Chris Donlan's back, Tom Francis from Season 3 is coming back, and uh, a certain someone who has been hosting me for the past <laughs> near two hours is coming back <laughs> to talk about her favourite game as I well. I will indeed, yeah. And we also have Here's the twist: someone from season five ah. to talk about their, talk about their favorite game. So um, do check that out. That's coming out the week after this comes out, just before the year is out. Um, at least that's hopeful. The plan. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, follow at my favorite uh, MFT podcast on Twitter, my favorite game uh, on Facebook, uh, me on Twitter at Tony Kong, and and also go check out at Catmoo on Twitter. Yeah. You can check me out. I haven't been tweeting too much. I've been too busy. (laughs) Busy. Busy, busy. Yeah.
so that was that was a great episode thank you johnny for being on and uh <laughs> my own podcast <laughs> <laughs> oh, my own podcast as if anyone <laughs> it feels weird to have anyone that's host my own podcast <laughs> thanks for listening to my favourite game thanks to Kat for hosting me because it feels weird like I said we'll do um, my favourite game of 2016 next week and season 5 we'll do early next year I don't want to go into details just yet about a date but it's early next year for sure anyway stay tuned for my favourite game of 2016 stay tuned for season 5 all the social deeds I've just mentioned just now at the end of the episode um, but until MFG of 2016 season 5 um, I guess thanks for listening and we'll see you in 2017 bye bye bye